Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Kosuke Minamihata, Technical Support Manager for Marketing at Peptogrowth, and Dr. Jess Kuruvilla, Sales and Development Manager at Mifi Bioceuticals, who recently joined us for a webinar where they discuss how synthetic growth factors work and share application examples and data using these synthetic peptides for cell therapy and regenerative medicine. Let's jump right in. A really great question here. Are there any off-target effects of the peptogrowth peptides? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's also a very important question. We conducted the uh, like off-target panel assay during our uh, development phase, and we tested against you know 68 different targets, and we confirmed that our PG peptides do not have any effect on six, such you know, 68 different targets at even you know micromolar concentrations, and that, that means you know our peptides are really highly specific to the specific target. And additionally, we also conducted the uh, toxicity assay using HEC uh, 293 cells. And we confirmed that our PG peptides do not have any cytotoxicity at a concentration of like micromolar range. And this micromolar range is more than like 1,000 times higher than the uh, concentration of the PG peptide that exhibit you know, biological activity. So under the you know, normal usage conditions, we believe that our PG peptides are really you know, specific and also safe. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's great to hear. <laughs> we have a question here uh, from registration. How does the bioactivity of the synthetic peptides compare to the respective natural peptides' biological activities in health and disease? Well, that's a uh, uh, very important question as well. We prepared our peptides to have the uh, comparable activity to the conventional growth factors, not too strong, not too weak. You know, if it is you know, too strong, maybe some like uh, over over signaling is you know, might happen. So that that's not really good thing. So. We are selecting the peptide and we are optimizing peptide to have the you know, comparable activity to the conventional growth factors. Fantastic. Another question here. What solvent should be used to dissolve the peptides? Uh, are they soluble in anything other than DMSO? Actually, there, uh, we recommend DMSO to use the so for the uh, solubilization of our peptide. That that doesn't mean that our peptides are not you know, soluble in water or in a buffer or in media. We confirm that you know our, uh, the solubility of our peptides is the range of like at least few hundred micromoles in water or in buffer media. But the problem is the adhesion to you know like containers. So. The recovery rate is not high if you use the buffer or you know, uh, media to solubilize our peptides. So we just recommend to solubilize peptide at the beginning by using the DMSO. Jason, do you have anything to add? <laughs> I think it's very common for mm -hmm. peptides to be dissolved in a very small amount of DMSO initially. So maybe a drop or two, just so that you have incorporated everything into solution. And then yeah. uh, you know you can bring that up into your basic media like DMEM or PPS and then incorporate it into the into this into the cells and you always have a control in place where you do that in a in a uh, with and without peptide so you can understand the effect of the activity of the peptide you know in the differentiation protocols thank you for sharing that Liam are there any other questions that have popped up yeah uh, it looks like there's a question here 
how long can the peptides get in amino acid residues until it might no longer be useful to produce them compared to the native growth factors? Yes, can you, can you answer that question for me? I'm not sure if this is necessarily, okay. it might be kind of a hard question, but is there a certain length that would be no longer useful to produce if they're a certain length? Maybe if they're really short, they're, it could be easy enough to produce them naturally. Yeah, so in, in my conversation with Suzuki-san during my recent visit to Pepti Dream, he mentioned that the advantage of the PDPS system, which is a you know rapid in vitro transcription translation system to identify these peptides, uh, you can make the peptide as short as 20 amino acids. That's the optimal length. And that also allows you to scale up the product to the kilogram quantities that you really want to scale up. The objective here is to provide a functional molecule, an agonist molecule that will drive cell differentiation rather than make a large recombinant molecule, which is actually difficult to make beyond a few grams. And if you really are trying to push regenerative medicine uh, to as a regular use therapy, I think you will have to have these alternatives to scale up the product. So the advantage, I think, in these small molecules is to get a viable products available to you at the scale in which you really want to manufacture the end product, which is the cell therapy or the regenerative medicine product. Yeah, great answer. Thanks a lot. What's the quality control process for sterility of the PG peptides after lyophilization? We, we do the you know, uh, filtration by using the 0.22 micrometer or you know, filter to ensure the sterility in the, form, uh, in the DMSO solution. To, and also we do the, a lot of cell-based you know, uh, activity assay to ensure its activity is okay. And also we do the you know, purity analysis by using the LCMS analysis and we ensure the, you know, the purity is over you know, 95%. And usually it's like you know, 99 or very close to the 100%. But yeah, those are the you know, tests we are doing before we going to you know, put the, uh, bring to the customer. Kosuke-san, there's a, a, mm-hmm. a viewer who's asked a question about a PG002. They would like to use it for animal studies, and mm-hmm. they would like to know if we have any data on how the animals metabolize this product. Actually, that, that's, that data we don't have, to be honest. We have only the you know, in vitro you know, assay data, and we do not have any in vivo data. But we are providing our peptide as a you know, RUO product. So Basically, it's up to you how you're going to use as long as it is in the researching stage, you know, but you cannot put the peptides into the humans, you know, but for, as for uh, experiment, you can use it uh, to inject into the mouse or do the in vivo studies as well. And we are also really want to know what happens, you know, to our peptide in the in vivo conditions. So we'd like to, yeah, to do that, <laughs> that such kind of uh, experiment for sure. Excellent. Yeah, great answer. Mm-hmm. A question here, and Koska, I know you mentioned this mm-hmm. a little bit in your presentation that um, yeah. because the peptides are so much smaller than the natural growth factors, you don't need quite mm-hmm. as much of them. But is there a difference in activity per molar concentration between the peptides and recombinant growth factors? The growth factor, I mean, the peptide that we have right now is so far is has the same same uh, activity in terms of molar as the conventional growth factors, but you know, we are still developing many other kinds of growth factors, and some are very difficult to reach to the equivalent activity. So, in the future, maybe we will launch a little bit weaker, you know, peptide, or in the future. But yeah, we are trying to make it better to reach to the uh, 
point of the you know, growth factors, uh, conventional growth factors level. So yeah, that's my answer. Excellent. Another one here, what's the degree of residuals in the cell and in the final product? Well, that's the um, very important point. Actually, we do not have such data also, but that's a very critical point when we try, when we uh, going to use a peptide in the production of cellular product, like in regenerative medicine product or also in cultivated products. We believe that our peptides do not have the uh, function to enter into the cell. So the residual amount of our peptides will be extremely low, below, probably below the uh, detection limit when we wash out the you know, uh, medium and do the exchange of the medium. So, but still there is a possibility that our peptide will taken into the cells by the internalization through the uh, you know, interaction with the receptors. So we have to analyze how much of our peptide will actually rem remains after you know, doing the encountering things. But we're gonna do you know, such uh, experiment to, to analyze such data, to get such data in the future, and we will provide in the future. Yeah, mm -hmm. great point. Yeah, another one here, do PG peptides, uh, do they have toxicity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we also uh, tested them in cytotoxicity during our development, and we, we saw no in cytotoxicity at the uh, micromolar concentration range. And we haven't conducted, of course, in you know, higher concentration range, but we believe that uh, peptides are not cytotoxic at the condition we usually use in the moral nanomolar concentration range. Excellent. Uh, I'd like to add a, a statement here. I, I mm -hmm. think some of the, the questions that are asked are very specific to individuals and their protocols. And I think the best way to do this is to actually you know, take a sample and test it in your own systems and then do a proof of principle. Of course, Koske san did share some data where we saw cell proliferation. And so some of the questions have been answered, but the interactions within your own system are own are variable. So I think it's it's prudent that every end user tests the sample and we are very generous with providing samples for testing. And then, you know, run a basic test in your own system, see how it performs. And, you know, if it's an advantage to you, then it should support the scale up of the process as well. So that's the, the key. Yeah, thanks very much. So another question here, is it okay to assume that uh, the peptigrowth peptides and recombinant growth factors have the same mechanism of action? Yes, we are designed to, you know, uh, our peptides to have the same function as the conventional growth factors, but there are some, you know, growth factors that interact with, you know, several different kinds of receptors. For example, the BDNF one, Actually, that one interacts with the track B receptor as a you know, main you know, receptor, but they also have, BDNF has also the uh, affinity against the P75 receptors. But our peptide, PG003, do not have the you know, interaction with the uh, P, uh, P75, which was, which is not, you know, it was not designed to have you know, such affinity. So, in st strictly speaking, our PG peptide might have a little bit of different you know, biological activity to the you know, conventional growth factors. But for the case of you know, like PG001, CMET, CMET is the only you know, receptor for the you know, HGF. So in that case, we are pretty much sure that you know, our PG001 has the, exactly the same function as the uh, HGF. It depends on basically the you know, growth factors. And uh, also, I think PG and its collaborators are trying to develop gene expression data. So hopefully in the future, we can provide kind of a wider array of uh, the genes that are expressed and the genes that are affected. This is still 
a pre-marketing stage for us uh, while we launch these peptides and the peptides are, are still being used in experiments by collaborators. So as peer review data comes in on these products, I think uh, there will be a wider acceptance on how they function within various uh, you know, protocols. So as of now, we are still limited with the amount of data that we can share with you currently. Yeah, great points for both. Another question here about the the animals. They're saying that they they would like to test it in animals, and they're asking, how do I get a test sample like PG002, and what is the process to get it? So I know, Koske, you mentioned scientist.com. You can get it on mm-hmm. there, but maybe for those in the audience who aren't on scientist.com, what would be the best way to do this? Yeah, please just contact us to either, either to Jess or me Yeah, directly, so we can, yeah. Uh, our range in sending free samples to you. So please contact us. Definitely. I have added the uh, email addresses right onto the slide there. Mm-hmm. So excellent. I think in the interest of time, we'll just have one last question here. So given the potential mm-hmm. of synthetic peptide growth factors, what are some of the challenges do you think that need to be addressed in order to realize their full potential? And where do you think you see the greatest benefits in the future? The Apart from price, I, I believe that the uh, biggest benefit of using a peptide is the uh, high stability of you know, compared to the conventional growth factors. There are many companies providing like special media for or media kits for culturing specific types of cells, typically like you know, iPSCs or ES or some you know, neuron or liver cells. And those specialized products are very easy to use and so accepted accepted by the many researchers and people are buying those and however you know growth factors commercial growth factors are very unstable so in those in especially media those growth factors are usually applied as a completely separated supplement and they have to add the growth factors just before the use we are also as Pepsi Rose, we are also seeking the possibility to you know uh, develop such you know specialized media using that peptide. And since our PG peptides are very stable, and we believe that we can put you know, our peptide into the media, and then we can sell it. So we can make the media that is completely ready to use. I believe that you know that makes the uh, all many processes of you know cell culturing much more easy, and we can benefit many people in the. Uh, Serocultural industries, I think, and that that will also expand the use of uh, PG peptide in the future. And however, the biggest challenge to achieve such you know, activities is to increase the number of the product lineup. So far, we have only six products, and those are, you know, to be honest, a kind of niche, you know, uh, ones, and not many people are using. You know, like you know, in order to make such media systems using our peptide, we have to increase the number of the uh, lineups, and we have to have the like EGF or basic FGF, the major ones as well. And also, we need to develop like TGF beta superfamilies like BMP4 or TGF beta one, and also interleukin series. But the challenge is that those growth factors we haven't developed so far has more complicated you know receptor binding you know uh, behaviors like trimers or tetramers. So, the PG peptide for those, you know, PG beta or interleukin series needs to be probably trimer or tetramer. So we have to accumulate, you know, know-how of how we're going to design the whole linker legion or the peptide things. So that will be the kind of challenges for us. But by doing so, we can ideally replace all the you know, growth factors in the market requiring this you know, regenerative medicine cells are built in the cultivated meat industry by using, you know, 
that, that's kind of our you know, future goal. Yeah, really nice, nice answer and great points. Uh, just, uh, what do you think? I think I kind of agree with Kofisan. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the challenges are in front of us. And I think the PDPS system is well equipped to actually provide very novel solutions. And uh, as a proof of principle, we've provided six of them. But I think going forward, I think the audience can expect uh, that we will try to surmount some of these challenges that we are uh, facing in the market as well. So uh, keep an eye out for us. Uh, we will definitely be pushing a lot of literature out and as well as providing announcements when our products come out on BioInformant and other platforms and also here on scientist.com. We are hoping to have at least a few more seminars or webinars of this nature very soon as well as the products come out and as we gather more data for it as well. So I think for us, it's an exciting start here on scientist.com and we look forward to supplying you with innovative products. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.